wow. I love the masks. They're the great equalizer. Us ugly guys are getting treated just as kindly as all the handsome dudes. It's the best I've been treated in a long time. I'm thinking of keeping mine. And so, when you were in second grade, you had a teacher, or perhaps a Sunday school teacher. How many of you remember one single lesson that that teacher taught you? Just let me see your hand. You say, oh, I remember distinctly when I was doing participles. Yeah, you're in third grade. You can remember second grade. But for the rest of us, right? But let me ask you a second question. How many of you remember what kind of a person that teacher was? Right? Right? It's very, very important, and I want to emphasize this tonight. It matters what you're like who you really are, as well as what you say. Most pastors, if you ask them what they preached three weeks ago, they couldn't tell you, and neither could anybody in the congregation. But they know if he's a man of character and integrity and passion and love. They know if he's genuine. Nobody likes somebody who's manipulative or controlling, or condescending. Hey, you want to be loved, but then you also need somebody to, somebody's got to straighten you up and pat you on the bottom and say, get back in the fight. First Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to read just... The first 12 verses, I'll let you stay seated, but I want you to really watch carefully because this is where we'll be. We will jump all over. But what's actually happening, the Apostle Paul is in Asia Minor. He's sent out of the church at Antioch. He goes and starts churches. Then he goes back on a second trip confirming the churches. He hears the come over into Macedonia and help us. Call. He goes to Philippi. Berea and Thessalonica. There, he gets some persecution and he gets uh, all kinds of false teachers that come in after him. And he goes on down to Corinth and down to the southern half of Greece. But he's writing now epistles to this church. He loves them. And what had happened is, number one, there was some persecution going on. He's trying to comfort them and say, hey, look, hang in there. We're in it for the long haul. And then there were false teachers who were there saying, hey, Jesus Christ came already, and you're going through the tribulation, and don't be looking for the rapture or the resurrection. It's... And there was a lot of discouragement, and he's trying to get him back on square one foundation. And so, unfortunately, it's kind of uncomplimentary for him to say, look, you should have listened to me. But that's a little bit of what's going on here. Hey, don't, don't let somebody else, like in Galatia, uh, preach some other gospel. So watch carefully, and we'll just um, 
look carefully in the passage, for yourselves, brethren, verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle, verse 7, among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and com comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his king unto his kingdom and glory. Then let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this good church and good pastor and have the freedom to preach this knowing that this is an endorsement for this church and not a rebuke. That this is a coming alongside and not a challenge. Thank you for the comfort we have in the scriptures, but also the clear direction. Teach, I pray, may we sit as it were at Jesus' feet. We need your help tonight. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. So he says, you know our entrance in unto you. He's writing a letter. He had been there years before. Now he's writing a letter. He said, hey, look, you remember what we were like when we came to you. Now, there's a, a certain premium on that kind of integrity. When you say, hey, when I came to you, when you first met me, what was I like? You, you know our entrance in unto you. Now watch, that it was not in vain, verse 2. After we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, verse 2, we were bold, there's the word, bold, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Now hear me carefully. A man of God 
has been given his marching orders from God Almighty. And he has no choice. If he really trembles at the word, if he really loves the Lord, if he really fears God, if he honestly believes that eternity hangs in the balance. I, people say to me, Brother King, do you get used to it? I mean, you've preached to ten and you've preached to hundreds, you've preached to thousands. I never get fearful of the congregation in front of me. But I fear God. I don't want to give him a black eye. I don't want to misrepresent him in any way. Someday, I'm going to stand before God Almighty. And I'm going to give account for how accurately I portrayed the scriptures to his people. These are the sheep of his pasture. These are his people. This is his flock. And the privilege and the honor it is to minister the word of God, I have to be strictly honest with the Bible. But there's a certain element of, if the cat doesn't like the way he's being pet, let the cat turn around. You cannot be a people pleaser and be a good pastor. You can't sit there and always fear and tremble. Oh, I wonder what he's going to think of that. Oh, I wonder what she'll say after this. Oh, I'm probably going to get maligned on the internet. Oh, wow, I know her and she hates that. Listen, you cannot, as a man of God, be paranoid about how people are going to respond to you. God told Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. If you'd seen some of the faces I've seen, I was preaching down and, well, I guess from here it's up, Georgia. And there was a woman in the congregation who never cracked a smile. Not Wednesday, not Thursday, not Friday. She just glared at me. She just glared at me. I think she was weaned on a pickle, truthfully. I don't know. But, but I, you know, I don't know. Maybe her husband died yesterday. I don't know. I know this. She never smiled. If she had smiled, her face would have cracked. She didn't shake my hand. She didn't speak a word to me. Not any of the weeknights on Sunday, not in the morning. Sunday night, finally, at the end of the service, again, the same treatment. And she's walking past me, and she grabs my wife's hand, and she just says, I got one question for you. How backslidden were you? What kind of sin were you in that God cursed you with him the rest of your life? I can hear you. I'm standing right here. And my wife laughs. Oh, I was in bad sin. Yeah, I was way out of the will. Hey, listen, if I talked to her long enough, we'd both jump off the bridge. I just refuse to be dominated by that. He said, hey, I'm trying to help people, but I have to preach. When somebody says, Brother King, what are you preaching? Well, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not steal. I'm going to say it. I don't care if you like it. I'm not currying favor. I'm not wondering whether it'll change the love offering. Thou shalt not steal. It says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Um, I wouldn't give you a dime for a pastor who wouldn't stand up on his hind legs and preach against sin. 
There's got to be a call to righteousness. If the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. He says, you know our entrance in unto you, we were bold. And he said, we didn't do it as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. A man of God has to have that kind of courage. It takes courage to battle at the battlefront where the battle is raging. Anybody, anybody. If he just wants to trim the message a little bit. Oh, what I'll do is I'll preach 400 lessons on all the typology of the tabernacle and all the symbolism of Joseph from Genesis 39 to 50. And then we'll talk about all of the things that were accomplished, redemption and salvation and forgiveness. And If you don't want to ever preach against sin, there's plenty in here. I can still be preaching the Bible and never confront sin. But I can't be honest and do that. Paul said God counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry, but the Bible says if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. What would God say? He would raise up his voice like a trumpet and cry against sin. When Nathan went to the king and said, Thou art the man, somebody's got to stand up and say, Sin is sin. Make sin exceeding sinful. And I see here in in 1 Thessalonians 2, notice how he says it. As we were allowed of, he says in verse 3, our exhortation was not of deceit, nor uncleanness, nor in guile. Listen, there's a pure heartedness in just saying, I'm not trying to curry favor. I'm not going to grovel at your feet. I'm not going to do my best to make you happy and feel good about yourself. If you're in sin, it needs to be rebuked. Hey, when somebody is filthy as a pig, you take them and scrub them up. That's the way it works. We didn't use guile. See, motive is what I'm kind of talking about tonight. Motive matters. We all have heard people talk, and it was like they were exalting themselves or just getting something off their chest or they were just talking down to everybody else. Now, it's going to shock you, but I have a master's degree and a doctorate. And I even can pronounce five-syllable words. And I know what the hypostatic union is. But the jelly's got to be on the lower shelf where you're dealing with real people in real situations. But watch here. He says, look, our motive. Three or four times he uses verse 5. Neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know. Oh, uh, Good you, good me, good God, good devil, everybody's good. Hey. We're just, everything's wonderful. Isn't it neat to be in Jesus? We will answer to God Almighty for that. He says, 
Neither at any time used with flattering words, you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. There's his motive again, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He makes mention uh, a little later how he worked. You know, some places there were a bunch of freeloading, glib, silver-throated orators who were making merchandise of the people and taking advantage of them. And he didn't want to be in that category. And so when he could, the tent making and other things, he said, I don't want to be chargeable to you. In other words, I'm not trying to just take advantage of you. Now, there's a companion truth. They that live of the gospel should eat of the gospel. And those that uh, rule well should be worthy of double honor. And there's all kinds of don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. But in the circumstance where people were used to, hey, that guy's just saying that so he can get our money. That guy's just saying that so he can get our money. Paul was strictly honest about, hey, I'm not after that. You better know I'm not after that. And it's important that motive is pure. And uh, to be able to put your head on a pillow at night and say before God Almighty, he knows the truth. I'm trying to minister in sincerity and genuineness. And notice he says, we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now, this is one half the occasion. It's not a three-point sermon with a poem. There's no poem, and it's not even three points. It's two. You say, well, we're going to get home in time to watch Tampa Bay. Um, Hear me carefully. The same man of God who stands in this pulpit and declares the word of God without fear or favor of man, when he says, quit stealing, quit buying Playboy magazine, quit going to the taverns, quit. When, when, he's, when he's rebuking sin, he knows, he knows God has a premium on righteousness. God is holy, and from that holiness proceeds his justice and judgment and everybody knows someday we're going to face our record. So then every one of us shall receive the things done in his body according to the hath done. Somebody's got to call us to righteousness. Quit sinning. But I want you to notice the first part, he said, you know our entrance in unto you. What do you like in public? What do you like in the pulpit? What do you like when you first meet people? Hey, they ought to know you're a man of God. And I'm not talking about pastors as much as just as a Christian. Hey, this guy's not going to tell dirty jokes. He's not going to laugh at a joke about hell. This, this guy's serious about his Christianity. But I want you to notice carefully verse number 7 where it says the fourth, fifth word, among you. And again down in verse number 10, among you. Among you. See, 
the people know their pastor from the pulpit. But shepherds should smell like sheep. And good pastors spend time with their people. Now, hey, some leather-lunged pastor stands up and says, it's sin for you to look at a woman to lust after her. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. That's what it says. But now, there's a 14-year-old girl in our church pregnant out of wedlock. Now, she tried to slit her wrists and commit suicide. Now, the pastor goes to the home, and mom is bawling her eyes out scared to death that that little girl's gonna she can't stand the shame she doesn't like her options her daddy's gonna be dismissed as a deacon she doesn't want to go to church dad dad's mad you're gonna you're gonna get an abortion we're not telling anybody your ship we're shipping you to the my sister in Seattle, and you're going to get an abortion? I'm not going to, hey, we spent too much time building our reputation in this town, and, and we're going to, now listen to me. This same pastor that stood there and thundered the oracles of God and stood for righteousness and truth, but now, 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 these are real people with skin on And somebody has to be the voice of reason. Somebody has to have that big a passion. The same God who is holy is also love. And the same God who gives judgment is the God who shows mercy. And the same God who chastens is the God who's long-suffering. And he remembers our our, that we're just flesh. He made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Did you notice what Paul says there in verse 7? Look carefully. Look carefully. He says, you know what our entrance was. But here's what we were like when we were among you. We were gentle. Even as a nurse cherisheth her child. That's talking about a, a mother nursing an infant. How tender and gentle is she with that newborn baby? He says, when we were among you, we were gentle. We were bold, but gentle. Is that being a hypocrite? No. No, it is not. It's understanding. I've got to stand for the truth, but I shepherd real people. You say, hey, I'll tell you what, we're not going to have sin in our church. Oh, get over it. 
You have sin in your church. I hate to tell you, but I know some of these people. I grieve. I'm not making light of the sinfulness. I'm saying, but for right now, hey, I'm in a home. The mother took the eight-year-old with her to the store. She's homeschooling kids. She's got a babe in arms. She's got a three-year-old. They have to go to the grocery store. She's going up and down the aisles trying to get the groceries and look at her list and keep track of the kids. And the eight-year-old gets out from under supervision. And he goes around the corner and he steals a matchbox car and shoves it in his pocket, but he's on the store camera. Mom don't know it. Hey, you don't wonder. Randy King believes it's wrong to steal. Everybody clear on that? But no, no. She's checking out. The buzzers go off. The security comes. The police are called. The boy is, and wow, five o'clock, dad comes home from work, and he's mad as a wet hen. How can you be a decent mother and you let the kids just run wild in a store? You're responsible for this? Now we're probably going to have to find a different church here. I was teaching the young couples class and, and I'm going to be terminated from my position because I'm not ruling my household well. And, and you're going to answer to God, he says to the eight-year-old, because now all those people going to hell and it's going to be your fault because my ministry's thwarted. No, hey, I'm not making this up. Do I, is, is it time now? Okay, that's it. That's it. I'm going to go over, and I'm going to get this eight-year-old sitting right there across the table, and I'm going to read Exodus 20, thou shalt not steal. Spell it. Say it. Recite it. He's already weeping his eyes out. Hey, hey, what's the chances when he's 20, that he's going to be in a Bible-believing church if we don't handle this correctly. I can't tell you this. I could tell you stories all night long, but I love 1 Thessalonians 2. You know our entrance unto you. We were bold. We weren't trimming the message. We weren't impure. But when we were among you, we were gentle. We were kind. We were gracious. We were understanding. It goes on if you look in the latter part of the passage we're reading here. He says in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. People know when you honestly care about them. Hey, hey, you know that we gave you the gospel, but not just the gospel. 
we also ministered to you in the darkest hour of your day. I was called as youth pastor and there was a girl, 14-year-old girl, caught shopping, uh, shoplifting, stealing mascara. And so, hey, uh, they were going to try her and they said, first you got to go to the county court commissioner and hey, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to decide, maybe we'll put you in juvenile jail and hey, you're stealing from a store and the amount she stole was over the threshold, you know, and all that. And so the parents call me and they say, uh, hey, Brother King, listen, you're the youth pastor. Our daughter is going to court and she's got to face the court commissioner and we want you to just be there and promise that you'll do counseling with her so she doesn't have to go to jail. Well, okay, you know, hey, I, I'll go. And so I get there, and here's the girl staring at the floor. Here's her mom and dad. Here's the court commissioner. Here's Randy. And we're all sitting there. And the judge says, Trina, come up here. He said, uh, I have here that you stole from such and such a store and you took this much stuff and are you guilty of doing this? Well, yes. I mean, they got her on camera. Well, he said, uh, I don't know what exactly to do with you. And her dad raised his hand. He says, well, we have here Brother King and we'd like her to get counseling from Brother King. Now, hey, I'm kind of a white corpuscle. I run to wherever the infection is. I. But the judge says, well, wait a minute before I rule on this. He said, Trina, he said, uh, have you been told the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal? And she's, oh, yes, 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 I have. And he says, do your family go to that church? Oh, yes, yes, we do. And have you been in Sunday school? Yes. Have you ever heard lessons? Thou shalt not steal. Oh, yes, yes, I know that. Yes, I know that. He said, uh, do your friends steal? And she says, well, no, no, my, my friends don't steal. And he said, well, how about your parents? Do your mom and dad steal? She said, oh, no, 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 they don't, they don't steal. And he said, how about you? He said, do you believe it's wrong to steal? And she said, oh, yes, I know it's wrong. It's wrong to God. It's wrong to my family. And it was wrong to that store. He said, well, that's, that's what I needed to hear. He says, because despite all of that, yet you stole. So what good's counseling with Randy King going to do? You already believe it's wrong. He's already told you it's wrong. You believe from the Bible it's wrong. You believe before God it's wrong. Your parents have taught you that it's wrong. And yet you stole. And we have cages for people like you. Hey, hey, pretty sobering to hear a secular judge have that much insight. But look, 
none of us is as good as we aspire to be. Right? Now, he said, I'm going to think this over before I send you to jail. And when I walk out, I'm standing outside the courtroom, folks. I just heard every syllable of this. You think she needs a big dose of, I told you so, ha, 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 I'm right, you're wrong, go to jail, that's it, that's what people like you get. I'm saying to you, somebody has to have an ounce of compassion. Somebody's got to be patient. I don't run around with a camera and see people at their very worst and take a picture and say, ha! I really know them. That's the way they always are. And that's the way they're always going to be. And I know the worst truth about them. Ha, 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 ha. No, no. I'm glad somebody was patient with me when I needed grace, when I needed mercy. Now, a pastor, here, I mean, you get down to the end of the passage. I'm done. Look, um, Verse 10, your witnesses and God also. Isn't it nice to have a pure heart before God? How holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Why? That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called us, called you unto his kingdom and glory. Every pastor is torn between this, I must declare the oracles of God without fear or favor of man. But I pastor real people. And with their warts and their wiggles and their failures, somebody, somebody has to still love them. Can you know the worst truth about somebody and still help them? What a challenge. What a challenge. But what I'm saying to the congregation is this. When you have a good pastor who understands this balance, don't you sit there and pontificate, that's not what I would have done. Don't second guess. Don't say he's a hypocrite. Don't say he's duplicitous. Oh, I'll, I'll bet those people are big tithers. That's why he was nice to them. Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. A good man of God understands what these children hear from the pastor and what they see in their father is what they're going to think about God Almighty. And I've got written in my Bible, God shows mercy whenever he can. Judgment only when he must. Mercy, it says in James, rejoices against judgment. God would rather show mercy. In Ephesians 4, be a kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We need God's help for this, folks. This balance of holiness, righteousness, exalting the truth, standing firmly, and still loving people, Helping them through the deepest hours. Standing alongside them. Hey, Paul says, you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged. 
sometimes it's an arm around them that says, look, I'm, I'm for you. Let's get through this. Sometimes it is. Look, here's where you went wrong. You made a left turn when you should have been going straight. Sometimes it's charging. In other words, here's what the future, here's what I recommend you could do. When the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 24, the servant of the Lord, that's the pastor or the dad, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Several things there. Number one, the person's success is not dependent on me. But I am to be patient and meek and humble and instructing. But God has to give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. A lot of people believe lies. This won't cost me anything. God could never forgive me. Other people are getting by with it. Listen, somebody's got to say, here's the truth. And they have to acknowledge or believe or embrace the truth. And then they recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. I'm not the guru that fixes them. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the scriptures, they recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. This can be mickety-muckety work. The little boy climbs in his attic in their new house, and he comes down with a Playboy magazine. Well, they built their own house. Mom knows she didn't put it there. Now her son's soiled. She's angry as could be. Threatening divorce. Throws the magazine on my desk and says, my husband's off work at 4 o'clock and you better talk to him. You know, they don't teach this in Bible college. I'm saying, pray for your pastor that he would have unusual insight and wisdom and courage with compassion. Hey, we're not going to go light on sin, but these are people for whom Christ died. And so my plea, I'm done, but it's, it's not as simple. It's not as easy as anybody makes it out to be. And that's why when the Bible says, if you have an elder that rules well, let him be counted worthy of double honor. This is the caliber of man you can follow and serve alongside and trust in because there's a premium on righteousness but a mercy that prevails everything he does. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed, and my invitation is very simple tonight.
would you join me in just saying, I'm going to pray for God, who knows when I need him to be bold for me, but gentle at the same time. But I'm going to pray for my pastor that God would give him unusual perception and strength. I love my pastor. I'm going to do my very best to support him. I don't always know all the factors, but I trust him. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I don't always know all the factors, but I trust him, his judgment, and his love for the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for a good church. And I know this is kind of plain as a mud fence, and it's not new to anybody. But Lord, it's a joy for me to come and when I opened the Bible to 1 Thessalonians 2, I, Pastor Green's picture's right there. And I thank you for a real man of God that understands that you can be bold, but gentle. Oh Lord, I pray for this congregation. The devil would love to get in and cause division and strife and mistrust and misunderstanding and Lord I pray that they would march forward together for good and for God may your Holy Spirit give them a, a measure of grace and kindness to each other and help them to always bear their pastor before the throne of grace thank you for good men I pray you'd reward them richly for their ministry, for I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm done, Pastor, if you'd come.